0: Our Bible reading for today is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses uh, 32 to the end of the chapter, verse 39. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere and preserve their souls.
1: Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> it's a little warm, so back here sweating on the drums, and uh, so if I have to stop to grab a towel or something today, it is really toasty. Well, back when I was a kid, before, long before, Netflix and YouTube and uh, Disney Plus and Amazon Prime and, and Hulu and all of those things, whenever we wanted to watch quality TV kids programming, we had to resort to what? Every other kid in every other house in our neighborhood was doing. And that was to get up really early on Saturday morning to watch cartoons. Because that was the only day that you could watch cartoons. And if our family was doing something on Saturday, we were doomed. That meant we had to wait in another entire week... Before we could watch cartoons again. So on Saturday morning we would. We'd get up really, really early. Even the roosters up the road were like, keep it down over there. So we we were up and and we'd turn on the TV. And once we turn on the TV, we'd see these rainbow colored bars on the screen. And those bars signified something. They signified that the people at the television station were doing the same thing that our parents were doing. They were still asleep. And so we had to wait and wait until the bars would fade away and an American flag would pop up and the National Anthem would play. Now, the National Anthem was exciting, not because when I was a little kid I was super patriotic, but because I knew that once the National Anthem plays, like going to a baseball game. As soon as the National Anthem plays, you get to see what you came here to see, and that was cartoons. I mean, quality 80s cartoons, like Alvin and the Chipmunks. Like the Get Along Gang, Muppet Babies, Garfield and Friends. I mean, real quality stuff. And we even got to watch some things that weren't cartoons on Saturday morning. Again, of the highest cinematic quality television. Things like Pee Wee's Playhouse. And Hey Vern, it's Ernest. And and even WWF Wrestling. (laughs) It's got some people who are close to my age. And everyone else is like, I don't know what you're talking about. So, so we would turn that, uh, that stuff on and watch it. There was a period of my life where I loved WWF wrestling. I was fascinated with it. I mean, with guys like Hulk Hogan and, and, and uh, Andre the Giant and Rowdy Roddy Piper and the Junkyard Dog and uh, Randy Macho Man Savage. Oh, yeah! Sounded more like the Kool-Aid Man than Randy Macho Man Savage, but you get the idea. I mean, I may have been eight years old, but I was a -a Hulkamaniac, brother. Well, there came a moment in my childhood, though, that I came to the realization, and I don't know how old I was or or when it was, but spoiler alert, that the World Wrestling Federation was not real. It was all scripted and maybe ruining some of your childhoods right now. But those, those big guys being thrown into the ropes and tossed out of the ring and hit over the head with chairs, none of that was real. I mean, what are you going to tell me next, that, that the Harlem Globetrotters games are fixed? I mean, come on. No, I guess looking back, there was some pretty good signs that, that none of it was real. And I understand so far that, that my message all the way up until this point has been geared towards someone in their 40s. And I'm sorry about that. It's like when Pastor Glenn gets up here and he talks about the first time he saw a car back in the horse and buggy days of his childhood. It is super not relatable. I get it. Okay, but let me put it in a nutshell. Sometimes it's hard to know what is real and what isn't real. Over the next month or so, as we we draw near to the end of the book of Hebrews, we're going to talk about the word faith. We're going to talk about our faith and we're going to talk about the faith of many biblical characters, people who lived in biblical times and what their faith looked like. And we're, we're going to define faith as we go into next week. And I won't steal Pastor Glenn's sermon, but the first verse of chapter 11, which we call the faith chapter, gives us a great and maybe the best definition of what faith is. And again, I said I would save that for next week, but generally, this is it. Faith has to do with assurance and certainty. So faith is not wishing something to be true, but faith is knowing that something is true and having complete certainty that something is true based on our strong conviction and listen to this, based on our experience and based on evidence. Okay, so our faith in God is not like the song, Well, we just gotta have faith. Yeah, you know, there's no evidence of it, but just just believe. No, it's, it's based on evidence. We know it to be true because we see it to be true. And as we said a minute ago, sometimes it's hard to know what is real and what is not real. And this morning, I'm not going to be talking about a question of uh, the object of our faith being real. Because we're going to start with the presumption this morning that God and Jesus and the stories of the Bible, the fact that Jesus died and he rose again, all of that stuff is true, okay? And it's true based on the previous nine chapters that we've talked about in Hebrews, the other 65 books of the Bible, as well as thousands of years of witnesses who have experienced the grace of God, okay? So we're going to start with the fact that, that the object of our faith is real, but the question this morning is, is your faith real, okay? And so that's what we're going to talk about today there are many evidences that we could focus on when we when we talk about is our faith real but this morning as we look at the end of Hebrews 10 we're going to just focus on four evidences and i want you as as we look at our passage today to do something with me and that is i want you to look at your own heart okay and i want you to examine your own heart and i want all of us to realize that none of us are are beyond the place where we need to say, hey, I need to make some changes in my life. Okay, so can we do that together this morning? Look at our own hearts and say, where do I need to examine to see if my faith in its actions, in my attitudes, all that stuff really looks like real faith? How, how real does my faith look when other people look at me? How real does my faith look when I gaze into the mirror and I, I look at myself? And how real, ultimately, does my faith look to God? Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm not suggesting that you do some things so that other people would look at you and say, now there's a good Christian. Okay, that, that's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is when you do have real faith, there will be certain things that are absolutely true in your life. You will live and act and think and have an attitude of a person who is a person of real faith. There are certain distinguishable qualities of a person of faith that should look different than people who don't have faith. After all, if we look the same as everyone does in the world, then what are we doing here? Okay, so we should look different. Now, even though we're only focusing on four evidences today in the verses leading up to our passage, the rest of chapter 10, Uh, There are many other evidences of a person of faith given as well, which Pastor Glenn talked about over the last several weeks. Things like uh, public confession of faith and a clear conscience and good works and and holy living and regular corporate worship. Now, now none of those things or the four evidences that we're going to talk about today save us from our sins, but they all are proof that we have been saved of our sins, okay? Does that make sense? So once we have Jesus in our life, once we have come to the saving knowledge of him, then there will be a change, and and we will have real, meaningful, measurable, life-changing, hope-inducing faith in our lives. So let's look at that passage together, and let's each of us look at that question, is your faith real? Two things I'd like you to have open throughout the message this morning. The first is your Bible. So if you have your Bible with you, if you'd please open that up and leave it open to Hebrews 10. You can do it on your phone or in your Bible, but please bring a Bible with you when you come. And and second of all, if you would go to the sermon outline, we're not passing out bulletins these days, but there is an online bulletin, so if you go to our website, you can pull up the online bulletin there and click on the sermon outline. I'd encourage you to do that because there'll be some things that you can follow along for the Scripture passages today. So let's look back to Hebrews 10, starting in verse 32. It says there, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened. So let's stop right there with that word enlightened. Just those few words in that first verse, we see our first evidence of real faith. You have been enlightened with the truth. What does it mean to be enlightened with the truth? Well, it means that we've been, had an awakening to something that is literally life-changing. Something that literally changes our life. Okay? It's a truth that's so profound that we were going in this direction, and we say, I'm not going in that direction anymore. I'm heading that way. Okay? That's a profound truth, and that's what the enlightenment of the truth looks like. Now, there are a few steps that are necessary in order for us to be enlightened by the truth. And the first is, there has to be truth. Okay, there has to be truth that is absolute and unchanging. In recent days, the idea of absolute truth has come into question. So, should we look at at truth and define that as absolute, or should we say that truth is relative? In other words, I say, is there truth that is true, whether I believe it to be true or not, or is it better defined as there's, Truth it's true for me, but if you don't believe it, that's okay. It's not true for you. Okay, so here's the absolute truth about truth. Truth is absolute. Okay, so there's there's things that are true, whether I believe them to be true, whether I want them to be true or not. And I think everybody, if they were really honest, would agree with that to some degree. There are things that, that they would say, you know... It's true that you just punched me in the face. I felt it. It's true, okay? And, and and someone else could say, you know, it's not true for me. I didn't feel the punch. Okay? There's truth that's absolute. And over the past few years, the term fake news has gained popularity. Google reports since 2016, a search for the words fake news has increased by 500% each year every year since then. Now, does that mean that there is more people lying this year than last year and more people last year than the year before that and, and, and the year before that and the year before that? Maybe, but I don't think so. I think fake news has been around since people have been around. I think lying has been around since people have been around. We can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the first sin to see that fake news has been around an awful long time. The serpent said to Eve, did God really say that you should eat from that tree? You're not going to die. Fake news. She died. Okay, so fake news has been around, lying has been around forever, but the implication when we say fake news, the implication when we call someone a liar, the implication when we put a fact checker on our Instagram feed is that we believe in absolute truth, right? So we can't say uh, there's relative truth and then believe in having fact checking. We can't have it both ways. Okay, so... There is absolute truth. Certain things are true, whether we believe them to be true. We can, we can believe all day long in something that is fake. That doesn't make it true. Sorry, WWE fans. Okay. And, and we can call truth fake news all day long. But that doesn't change the fact that it is true. Okay, So in, in order to be enlightened with the truth, there has to be truth. And I hope that I've established that's true. Okay, there is truth, okay, but we also have to have knowledge of the truth. We have to have heard about the truth and come to an understanding of the truth in order to be enlightened with the truth. That's why Paul in uh, the book of Romans said this, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And now how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? Okay, so we have to hear about the truth in order to believe it, okay? And there's certainly implications there, and we have to share it in order for people to hear it, okay? Which is what the rest of the passage goes on to say, but that's another sermon altogether, okay? Enlightenment, though, does not stop there. It's not just about having truth. It's not just about hearing the truth. There needs to be a complete awakening in response to it. There needs to be just a life-changing moment when we hear that truth and we say, I'm gonna change everything about me based on that truth. Let me give you an example. I get migraines, uh, and my coworkers and my family can attest to how grumpy I get when I get them. Okay, But I get them quite often, um, and they, they go all the way back to when I was in college. and. Some of you here this morning have never had a migraine. So you might be thinking, migraines, fake news, okay? Never had a migraine, never experienced a migraine, don't believe they exist, okay? But for those of you who had, ha- have had a migraine and, and have felt that debilitating pain, you know the absolute truth is migraines are real. Now, for me, I started to get migraines after I had a really serious concussion, I met with some doctors at that time, and I met with some specialists, and one of them said to me, you know, the best thing you can do for these migraines is to stay proactive. When you start to feel a headache coming on, take this medicine. And she gave me some medicine and said, take this before it gets to a migraine. Now, that was truth that she gave me, okay? But it wasn't life-changing until I followed what she said, until I opened the, the bottle when I first got that headache and I took some of that medicine and all of a sudden I realized I was having some migraine-free days. I was going from six migraines a week to one migraine a week to, to one migraine every other week. And I, I, it was life-changing for me to, to follow that truth. Here's the point. It's not enough to know that there is truth. It's not enough to have knowledge of the truth. There needs to be an awakening. The light bulb needs to go on. And that's true with our faith as well. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. I put that on your outline. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Do you hear that word enlightened in that verse? It's more than a knowledge of him. It's an opening of our heart, it's an awakening of our heart. It's an enlightenment of our heart toward Him. That is the evidence of our faith. Now there has to be truth. We have to have knowledge of the gospel message that, that Jesus died and that He rose again. But it has to go beyond just knowledge of it. After all, the demons even believe that. Okay, but a life change happens. We are awakened to just how profound that is, that Jesus died for us, that God sent his Son for us. Now, when I see somebody who has that enlightenment, who is headed in in one direction, and hears that truth, and turns completely and goes in the opposite direction, I see evidence of real faith. So examine your heart this morning. Is that true of you? Is your faith real? Have you been enlightened with the truth. Look back again to Hebrews ten, verse thirty-two. It says, There, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, joyfully accepting the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So we see in those verses the second evidence of real faith. You have struggled for your faith. I'm thankful that we currently live in a time and a place where we're not openly jailed and and beat and persecuted for our faith. But we shouldn't be surprised when struggles come our way because of our belief in Jesus. In fact, we should be surprised when they don't. Why? Because Jesus said that they would. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble if you're my followers. And the Apostle Paul said the same thing in 2 Timothy 3.12. He said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Did you hear that? In Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not if you're a follower of Jesus, you might be persecuted. Not uh, some who are followers of Jesus will be persecuted. All who Trying to live this godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, that doesn't mean if you come to church, you're going to be harassed. It doesn't mean if you own a Bible, you will be mistreated. It doesn't mean if you got that cross hanging around your neck that, that you're going to be mocked and you're going to be scorned. It doesn't even mean if you claim to know Jesus that you will be oppressed. But it does mean if you have real faith, it does mean if you are living out that faith, you should expect persecution. And we see that here in the book of Hebrews, in our passage today, as well as, as the other passages in the Bible which talk about suffering for the faith. The emphasis is less on the suffering itself and less on the degree of suffering as it is on our reaction to the suffering our endurance through the suffering. That's why we see down in verse 36, you have need of endurance. So it has less to do with the persecution and more to do with the perseverance. So what is it that gives us that perspective? What is it that allows us to have that perseverance? It's the enlightenment of the truth that we just talked about a minute ago. Once we've had that life change, then everything changes, even our perspective on suffering. You see at the end of verse 34 that our knowledge of eternity allows us to endure persecution in this temporary world. It's, it, it says in that verse, like, you, your property is being plundered. You've got an eternal home that you're waiting for. Who cares about this stuff? That is a different Perspective that you're able to have once you've been enlightened with the truth. Now, Jesus told a parable called the parable of the sower. And in the parable, he talked about a sower that went out sowing seed, and the seed represented the gospel message. And he spread it all over, and it fell on different types of soil. And the different soil represented the people that the gospel message was given to. So some fell in the good soil, and some fell in the thorns, and some fell on the path, and some fell on the rocky ground. here's what Jesus said about the soil that fell on the rocky ground. He said, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So in the beginning part of that verse, we have a person who received the gospel message. They were excited about it. They joyfully said, "Yeah, I want that." Okay, but then persecution came, which is promised by Jesus, which is promised by Paul. And I said, "I don't want any more of this faith." Not not if this persecution's coming. And so they fall away. So the evidence of real faith, or in in this case, the lack of evidence of real faith was how they responded to the persecution. Because perseverance really is the evidence that their faith is real. And that's precisely why James, the brother of Jesus, in in chapter 1 and verse 2 of his book, said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In other words, when we are facing persecution For our faith, this joy should start to rise up in us. Wait, what? Joy with persecution? Why would we feel joy? Well, it's not because persecution's fun. It's not because it makes us happy. It's because we know that this is testing our faith. We know that this is allowing us to to develop perseverance, and it allows us to know that our faith is truly real. When I see someone who who endures through a faith struggle and perseveres, they come out on the other side, still having strong faith. I recognize real faith. So I want you to examine your heart this morning. Is your faith real? Have you suffered for the faith and endured? Let's look back to Hebrews 10, verse 33. It says there, sometimes you have been partners with those so mistreated, for you had compassion on those in prison. We see in that verse the third evidence of real faith. You have compassion for the lost and the hurting. And, And the point I want to make here with this evidence, again, has less to do with the sympathy that we have for others, and more to do with what we do with that. We respond in action. Okay, so less to do with the sympathy and more to do with the action. If our hearts have truly been enlightened to the truth, if we truly struggled for our faith, and if we truly have compassion for others, then we will act in a certain way in response. We will love and comfort and and serve and minister to those who are hurting and to those who are lost now the sympathy and the compassion is a necessary precursor to action but it can't stop at the compassion and needs to make its way to action now let me ask you an important question on this evidence why is our compassion and our action necessary towards others in our relationship with God? Why can't this just be between God and me? I mean, it's my faith in him. Why can't it just be the two of us? What, it, what does someone else's sufferings have to do with my faith in God? And what, what do other people in general have to do with my faith in God? Listen to the answer to that question in 2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we may share abundantly in comfort too. So this is the point. If our faith is real, we will not only have very real suffering, we will also experience very real comfort from our compassionate God. And again, if our faith is real, then we will pass that comfort and that compassion that we've received from God on to others. We will serve others because we've been served by God. We will love others because we've been loved by God. We will minister to others because God has ministered to us. We will show grace to others because God has shown grace to us. We will be merciful to others because of God's great mercy to us. Here's where I'd like you to examine your heart this morning. Are you looking for opportunities to serve others, to comfort others, to minister to others? that can't be something that we just leave for everyone else to do. That can't be something that that we do. I'm not just going to serve when my name comes up on the six week rotation at church. It can't be something where I say, didn't I just serve last week? I mean, let somebody else serve. Let somebody else comfort. I've done my time. It's time for someone else to do it. We can't doing that, not if we're people of real faith. This, in my opinion, is at the very core of why God created the church. It's why earlier in in this chapter, which focuses on, on the proofs of real faith, in verse 24 it says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So if you only come to church or or you don't come to church because you're going to get something there or or because you're not going to get something there, then I I think we've missed the point. Because the reason that we come to church is so that I can serve you and so that you can serve me. And thankfully, if we're all doing that, then everybody is ministered to. But we don't come here to be ministered to. We come here to minister to others. Because I, I, I feel like if, if God just wanted me to be completely comforted and, and, and that just to be kept to myself, then the second that I accepted him, he will suck me right up to heaven. okay? Because there's way more comfort up there than here. okay? Or God would say, you just accepted me, I'm going to pull you over here into isolation so that you never have to face any problems in this world. No suffering, no persecution. Okay, just me and you. And that would be good. Just me and God, that'd be good. That's not God's plan. His plan is better because he said, you know, Travis, you need these guys. That's where you're going to get the real comfort. You're going to be together with them, and you're going to be able to minister to them. And he's saying the same thing to you because that's that's a person of real faith. I'm going to look for ways to serve others. When I see someone who has compassion for others, who joyfully serves because they have been comforted by God, I see evidence of real faith. So examine your heart today. Is your faith real? Do you have compassion for the lost and for the hurting? And do you, out of joy, look for ways to serve others, to serve God's church? Look back one last time to Hebrews ten, verse thirty five. Says there, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God you may receive what is promised. So we see in those verses the fourth evidence of real faith this morning. You have conviction for the will of God. So as we wrap up this chapter ten and we see this final proof of faith being real, you have to recognize that it's more than just a decision. It's more than a profession that we made, maybe uh, at Sunday school or at VBS or at an Easter service or at a Christian camp or beside our bed with our parents or with our pastor. It needs to be more than just a decision. It is dedication to God and his will always. Real faith is seen through dedication. When Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount, he made that very clear. In Matthew 7, verse 21, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, concerning the will of God, we could talk about this for a long time. I'm going to try to be very succinct just because we're running out of time this morning. The will of God, in most cases, has less to do with uh, a decision that we're making concerning what job we should take or, or what school we should attend or what person we should date or what ministry we should serve in, although certainly God's will has implications for all of those decisions. But God's will has to do with living a holy and godly life in every decision that we make. If the decision... Matter-of-factly means we won't live a holy life, and we don't do that. But if we can live a holy life in those decisions, that's okay. Okay, so there's going to come times where you come to a fork in the road, and the decision is clear. Okay, over here is sinfulness, and over here is godliness. Okay, and the decision's clear. I, I can go towards infidelity and adultery and pornography, or I can go towards holiness. Decisions clear. Okay, it may not be easy, but it's clear. And then there are other times we're going to come to a, another fork in the road, and we say, "Should I take this job or that job?" You know, should I send my kids to public school or, or homeschool them? There are a number of decisions that we come and, and really, either way is fine, as long as you are living a godly life in those decisions, as long as holiness is what is of utmost importance. And then there are going to come a time when you come to a fork in the road and you, you see I, I've strayed so far from God that the only way to get back to God is to turn back and head back that direction where God is. Because all of these decisions that I'm doing are sinful. And Scripture calls that turnaround towards God repentance. Dedication to will of God is evidence of real faith. When I see someone who chooses to follow God's will for their life, even when it's not easy, even when it's inconvenient, even when their friends are going in a different direction, I see evidence of real faith. Here's where I'd like you to examine your heart this morning. Do you have conviction for the will of God? Are you dedicating your life to following God's plan and not your plan. And that may mean making some very different decisions in your life, like choosing to end a relationship where God is not at the center. Like choosing to throw away those beer bottles because you're seeing way too many of the bottom of them. Like choosing to go to, to church instead of going to the beach. Like choosing to minister to others regularly instead of only being ministered to like choosing to to make choices that are inconvenient for you in order to show love to others. There are a lot of things in this world that are fake. We're bombarded on our our social media feeds, in our conversations, in the movies, on, on TV shows that we watch, the late night talk shows, in politics, even on the news stations with falsehoods. But we shouldn't. We can't fall into the trap of being blown and tossed by the wind uh, and change of every changing circumstance. Our faith needs to be steady. As I close this morning, and as you think about those four evidences, I want you to examine your heart and, and say, is there one of those evidences where I just need to improve? Or maybe you're looking at it and you're like, There's really not any evidence in that area of my life at all. If that's true, I don't want you to be discouraged this morning. I want you to be encouraged to make the changes so that your faith looks real. Now, I'm not your judge. I can can look at at someone and say, that's a person of real faith, and maybe they have no faith at all. Or I can look at someone and say, and they have no faith, and, and their faith is strong. But God knows, and you know. And so I would say, look at your life, examine your life and say, where do I need to make changes so that my faith looks like real faith? Do that for your sake, so that your relationship with God might be stronger. Do that for your family's sake, so that when they see your actions and your attitude, they might be drawn closer to God. Do that for your church's sake, so that the church might grow, so that people would be driven to come and to worship God. Do that for your community's sake, so that when people see your faith, they might say, I want some of that. Do it for God's sake, so that he might be praised and glorified. Be really easy right now, with all that's going on in the world, to shrink back from God and our faith in him. The evidence of real faith is, is not dependent on our circumstances. Real faith does not go away because of the outcome of an election. Real faith does not topple when statues fall. Real faith does not falter when riots break out or when police officers do horrendous crimes or when an evil person walks into a school to do harm to others. Real faith is not taken away when someone takes away your constitutional rights. Real faith does not die when a virus spreads or when our loved ones get sick or even when physical death is at our door. Real faith is not changed or affected when you disagree with people in your community or with people at your church. Real faith perseveres. Real faith endures. This is how our passage ends this morning. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve our souls. Examine your heart today. Do you look like a person of real faith? Before we close today, I just want to say we need to do a better job being people of real faith. And when I say we, I mean we. I mean me and you. We need to live out our faith so that it's so obvious to each other and to our world around us that we are people of faith. If we are grumbling and arguing and getting angry and all the same thing that the world's doing, then we what are we doing? We need to be different because our faith is different. It is life-changing. So let's change our lives to be more like God so that our faith looks real, so that our church grows, so that our community is impacted, and so that our God is glorified. Let's pray together. God, we want to be people of real faith. We don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to fall into complacency. We don't want to choose selfishness over unity. We don't want to choose sinfulness over holiness. We don't want to face your judgment. We truly want to be people of faith, people of hope stir up our hearts to to live out the faith that you have so freely given to us. May we constantly be in awe of the truth that you have enlightened us to. May we persevere even when persecution is at our door. May we be people of compassion and action. May we be dedicated to following your will. We praise you, God, that you are real. And we pray that our faith in you may be real as well. We pray in the name of the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus our Lord.
0: Amen.